0: We wanted to build something different, something that was kind of going back to the roots of venture capital and really targeted a very specific set of founders. Decibel is really that. It it focuses exclusively on technical founders building technical products for technical audiences.
1: Hey everyone, this is Prashant and I will be your host for the the VC10X podcast. And today we have Dan Ligun with us. Dan is a partner at Decibel, where he focuses on helping founders build the next generation of disruptive ML and AI, cloud infrastructure and cybersecurity companies. Prior to joining Decibel, he was a vice president at Battery Ventures, where he led investments in Databricks, Sumo Logic, Expel, Contrast Security and Influx Data. Earlier in his career, Dan worked at VMware and spent time at UBS in the Technology Investment Banking Group. In this episode, we talk about Dan's story and how he started investing, the origin story of Decibel and how they raised a $225 million debut fund and more recently, a $275 million second fund at the back of a strong track record, how they pick companies to back, the use of AI on both the good and bad side, and so much more. So without wasting any time, let's dive straight in. Hey Dan, so good to have you on the VC10X podcast. How are you doing?
0: Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Big fan of the show.
1: Pleasure hosting you and thank you. So to start things off, can we first have your story and how you started investing?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I grew up in Germany, uh, where my father was a founder himself uh, to a small software company. After you know working at HP for a very long time, so my first exposure to technology and entrepreneurship was really through him. I grew up in Munich uh, through my formative years, and that's also a big reason why uh, I'm a diehard Bayern Munich fan, for better or for worse. Uh, in in high school i um i participated in a uh, year-long kind of exchange program where i left germany and came to the us and after like basically being here for like 10 to 12 months i kind of knew i wanted to be here long term um, i ended up applying to college and attended uc berkeley and coming out of school i worked uh, uh, an assortment of random jobs uh, one being kind of investment banking analyst at ubs in the technology group but none more i would say profound in terms of the direction I would eventually take than uh, working at VMware. Uh, as you might know, VMware is you know one of the largest cloud computing companies in the world. And uh, that is really where I went deeper into understanding infrastructure IT and cybersecurity companies. And I learned a lot about go-to-market strategies there, competitive landscaping around cloud computing, and operating a business really at scale. Um, it was a really interesting time. But I also recognized that There were a lot of really interesting and exciting secular movements that were happening in the the space. You know, obviously the movement towards cloud with AWS, open source software with companies like HashiCorp and and GitLab and and GitHub and then the like and data infrastructure, you know, and basically everything that was happening in the space was super, super exciting. And I wanted to invest in that. And, you know, um, that's why I ended up kind of leaving VMware at some point um, to join battery ventures. uh, to help build out the infrastructure IT practice on the West Coast. Uh, and over the course of four to five years, I was fortunate enough to uh, invest in a lot of really great companies like Databricks and Expel and Sumo Logic and Contra Security and Matillion ETL, which are all now unicorn companies, which is really amazing to see kind of being part of that ride. And about four years ago, I uh, started a new journey. I partnered up with my current partner, John Sakoda, who had left NEA after 12 years um, you know, where he was a GP there and, uh, build decibel. Um, so we've been added for the last four or five years. We, you know, um, over 30 companies in the portfolio now and, uh, and also four partners. Um, so very excited to kind of see the company or the firm kind of grow up a little bit and kind of, you know, become what it is today. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. That's a very interesting story. And, uh, tell me more about the inception story of, uh, decibel because you all of you have very credible backgrounds like uh, your partner coming from NEA a very reputable firm yourself having prior experience in the field at VMware and then having backed some very successful companies in your previous firm so how was the inception like and how did you plan about launching the first fund because you had a leverage of having that past track record and Mm -hmm. how did you decide to leverage that to get off to a good start
0: yeah absolutely I think the Where where to really begin is really around like why we did it um, and why John wanted to to found the firm and kind of like what the ethos was around it. And observation of the venture ecosystem was that it went from a relatively small industry to a very becoming a very large one, right? With many funds increasing their fund sizes, uh, really investing across all stages, uh, really early, mid, late stage growth, private equity, public equities and covering all sectors like consumer, crypto, SaaS, infrastructure, like literally the whole, the whole gambit. And we wanted to build something different, something that was kind of going back to the roots of venture capital and really targeted a very specific set of founders. Decibel is really that. It, it focuses exclusively on technical founders building technical products for technical audiences and only, only, only exclusively at the earliest stage. Um, And the sectors that we invest in are thereby very technical in nature. So AI, ML, cybersecurity, cloud, open source, data infrastructure, and only at Seed and Series A. And what this really boils down to is that, you know, we believe that you're able to serve founders better when you are specialized. Um, And that is really based on the ethos of saying, look, a consumer founder pre product market fit, vastly, you know, need something vastly different than maybe a cybersecurity founder might need, and so when you have that specialization, you're able to maybe gear the entire firm around that kind of north star of helping founders find, you know, what is what is very difficult to do, park market fit.
1: Absolutely, uh, certainly, that's that's a very integral part, especially in the early stage yeah. uh, journey. Uh, so, t- t- talk more, uh, talk about that a l- little more. Like, how how are you helping? those super early stage founders, let's talk about the seed stage, mm-hmm. get to that product market fit. What are the kind of things that founders need the help with the most, right? Mm-hmm. So give us an insight into that.
0: Yeah, I think like every founder starts out with um, some type of really unique insight around what they want to build and why they want to build it. Um, you, you know, I think the three core tenets of early stage that I always think about is, you know, customer, customer discovery work, um i think about like marketing and kind of like the early pieces of marketing and then recruiting those are like the core tenants i think in areas where maybe i would say technical founders are um you know not as natural at at it you know usually they're like engineers or maybe they're product leaders um and some of these pieces that um are difficult for them or a little bit more challenging for them than maybe like hiring the next engineer or building a great product i think that's where they're really really strong and that's usually where they shine um, so we kind of try to gear the entire firm around that concept, and what we really have built is a, you know, somewhat of a program that helps founders find product market fit. Um, we have a partner of ours, Stacy, um, who basically leads our customer discovery work, and essentially in that process, we try to put you in front of as many customers as humanly possible in the earliest stage. We try to like converge them and really like kind of have conversations with them with these early adopters. To understand like what are the big problem statements that they're facing? Does that align with the vision of what the founder is trying to build? We're trying to validate what they're doing is actually makes sense and actually will find product market fit later. And hopefully over time, those conversations evolve into um, you know testing uh, that eventually evolves different teams. Hopefully evolves into you know long term design partnerships, and then eventually hopefully it turns into customers. And those customers those early adopters eventually become your evangelists that you know go out and say hey like i have this brand new tool it's amazing and you know you should try too and that's really what you're trying to drive towards and you know i think traditionally you know venture capital firms have made introductions like this to potential customers but we have tried to really formalize an official program around it um and try to be actually as involved as we can be in those conversations as a matter of fact all those conversations that um a founder has with the customer uh, we try to be uh, part of that conversation as well so we can learn with the founder and and try to iterate on that process the other area that we really spend a lot of time on is marketing um, and you know like really building the fun- if the company wants to be product like growth or bottoms up or open source whatever it might be um, we try to really help on that front with my partner francois um, who is the former vp of marketing at twilio um, he really focuses on building the grounding blocks of you know, I would say that like the, 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 the foundational blocks that you need in order to build a product like growth marketing engine, uh, modern marketing strategies, demand gen, uh, narrative and positioning, things like that, that are really, really important, um, you know, to get going to like position your company for success. Um, And then lastly, of course, we try to help them with recruiting and and talent uh, in areas where, you know, maybe like trying to help them to find their first, product leader, the first marketing leader, the first sales leader, all those type of things that can supercharge your path towards product market fit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's certainly very helpful. Uh, And like you mentioned, marketing, like, although this is a firm that's mostly focused on backing tech startups, uh, marketing still has such an important role to play here because that is probably what gets ignored or, you know, technical founders are not naturally great at, right? That's something that they need to take on, they need to learn or need help with. So it's great that the firm has dedicated focus on that aspect there. And just to, you know, just curious about that aspect, do you look for a non-technical founder as well, who's going to handle the growth and marketing aspect in the startup? Or is it like, are you mostly focused on training? If there are all technical founders, then is it all about training the technical founders to learn the marketing aspects as well? Um,
0: I, think, I think in the product areas where we invest in, uh, having a technical founder is an absolute must doesn't mean that his co-founder or her co-founder can't be someone who's you know more focused on go-to-market as a matter of fact i think that's great um because then you kind of have both sides of the spectrum you can really work through these these concepts um the reality is like every every founder has their strength and weakness uh we just try to help them with some of the areas where they have potential blind spots um and i think that's really what we're focused on we're not trying to dictate one thing or another we try to really learn with them uh, and we try to like give them the opportunity to have all the resources at their disposal to be successful.
1: Absolutely. That's very interesting. And since b- both uh, you partners and I believe other partners as well have re- really uh, established backgrounds in the venture capital industry, worked at reputable firms, have passed successful tr- track records. So while you were you know building Decibel, mm-hmm. how were you thinking about the investments, investment strategy here? Uh, And how are you going to like portfolio diversification and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, right? So how how are you thinking about that? Based on obviously you have had a successful track record. So Mm -hmm. what conclusions did you derive from that? That okay, these are the kind of things we're going to do, and these are the things we're not going to do to make Mm -hmm. this fund a successful fund.
0: Yeah, I think like in terms of the venture capital math, um, you know, as I mentioned, we focus only on seed and Series A. Uh, Obviously, the, the entry you know, prices for those type of deals is a little bit on the lower side in comparison to maybe the growth stage, naturally, uh, we write checks, you know, from 1 million to like 15 million. And, you know, since we are, you know, we try to be really helpful, and we try to be really hands on, we have a more, I would say, concentrated portfolio strategy, uh, rather than like maybe putting a lot of smaller checks to work with uh, lower ownership positions this kind of allows us to stay focused on what we're trying to do, which is kind of like follow that North star that I mentioned around product market fit. Um, I think like fundamentally what's maybe um, a little bit different about us is the fact that we really believe that, you know, a venture capital firm can add a lot of value and really try to help founders get from, from point A to point B. Um, And that, you know, value creation actually drives the portfolio performance and also drives the fund performance. Um, So in a way, Uh, What's great about it is that the uh, success and the, you know, I would say um, the North Star for the founder is aligned with our North Star. And uh, that really helps the process quite a bit.
1: Absolutely. I love that answer. And it's more focused on building the winners instead of picking the winners. Uh, But still, let's talk about uh, the picking the winners aspect. So when you're evaluating these investments uh, or potential deals coming to you, on what basis are you uh, evaluating them and deciding mm-hmm. which ones we should take a bet on? Because you, you're actually taking a big bet on them, right? You're writing a yeah. good check. So how do you decide that?
0: Yeah, I, I think um, I think there's maybe uh, what we're looking for, and also like how we generally invest. How we generally invest is really thematically driven. Um, so we really think about like what are the large scale secular movements that are happening in us in a category. And how are certain categories or subcategories affected by that? You know, obviously, you know, traditionally uh, the movement towards cloud had an effect on cybersecurity, how cybersecurity budgets affected by that, given, you know, maybe the increased attack surface or something like that, that that would always like drive a lot of our thinking. Um, And, you know, I think today, unsurprisingly, uh, one of the areas that we're really, really interested in is AI. Uh, And that really comes in maybe two forms, you know, one being the AI ecosystem of tools that are enabling this new emerging trends and the other being AI being applied to infrastructure or cybersecurity ecosystems to solve problems that we weren't able to solve before. And I, I can maybe even give you a, a specific example to kind of illustrate this a little bit more. Um, you know, one of the big problems in cybersecurity really boils down to like labor. Um, there, like is isn't enough people to basically investigate all of the alerts that are coming in, there's like a huge amount of tools that every security team buys, uh, from you know network firewalls all the way to sims, all the way to um, you know detection and EDR tools, and all of these tools basically provide um, you know notifications if a breach or something unusual happens in the ecosystem. And a SOC team, which is a security operations team, they basically sit there and they try to sift through all the alerts and try to investigate all of them now you can imagine given the amount of attacks that are happening especially you know the hackers are using ai now too you can imagine like the alerts are like that are coming in are are endless in a way and the work of analyzing each of individually is can be tedious because some of them are more important than others right some of them are just like you have to do it but it's like manual work and so what drop zone has done, um, it's really what it does is it it uses large language models and AI to mimic the techniques of an elite analyst and autonomously investigates every alert so that the SOC analyst can really focus on the much harder, much higher pressing alerts that come through the environment. Um, so really, this is like a, an example of the of the of the latter you know, AI being applied to like a problem statement that we have in cybersecurity that we're trying to solve. Um, So that's an area that we're really, really interested in. But again, as I said before, you know, we are very thematically interested and we really try to find founders that have a unique insight or a unique experience that allows them to build something really incredible in the category.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's certainly very interesting. And like most people are like, okay, AI is going to take our jobs, but it's good to learn that at some places, AI is actually required to like fill in these positions that you cannot just get so many humans into those positions, right? So b- basically like, uh, and, and like you said, like AI is on both sides of the table, right? It's on the bad side and the good side, right? So it's it's creating the problems and then it's also being used to solve those problems. Basically armies on two different sides, <laughs> AI armies and fighting each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's one of those yeah. interesting areas where um, it's very clear that no matter what we do, um, you know, the opposing side of threat actors and hackers is going to evolve uh, with new technologies that come into the category. It's always been that way. Um, and so we have to equip our side with, you know, the right reinforcements to tackle that um, as we as we continue to kind of help build out some of these security teams.
1: Absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, and do you want to give out uh, any examples in terms of your portfolio companies that you've backed that? Doing, are doing something along those lines or anything interesting that our audience would love to learn about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I can maybe talk about since we're already on security and it's always one of the I think like one of the fun ones to talk about. One of our latest investments is in a company called SpectreOps. Um, You know, you might be familiar with this, uh, but, you know, we have in security pretty much tried everything under the sun to kind of cover and mitigate all corners of what we consider the attack surface of an enterprise. You know, we scanned it, we have permitted it, we have put agents on every device to kind of watch out. And the reality is it is incredibly difficult to protect like a federated ecosystem that spans from on-premise to cloud, especially when your users and your employees are dynamic in the way they use the tools today. You know, they're logging into personal devices, they're downloading new SaaS tools at work, they're working remote in secure Wi-Fi settings, you know, you name it. and the, the team at Spectro Ops, they're, they're trying to kind of flip this paradigm a little bit on its head. They were born out of um, a consultancy that specialized in adversarial tactics, um, or as they call it kind of advanced threat active trade craft. Um, and what they really do is, you know, um, and, and in my opinion, they're, they're the best in the business. They really try to study, uh, you know, security operations at companies. They try to improve them and they make assessments. Um, and they also provide, you know, training, I would say, to educate some of the latest styles of attacks that occur. And so eventually they decide to prioritize something um, that they had been kind of doing manually for ages uh, when they were running a red team exercise. Um, and they use the software to kind of map out what is the optimal uh, attack path in an active directory environment, meaning what is the most likely attack a hacker, a hacker would take to, you know, get your permissions and then, you know, use your rules and policies against you and move through your environment like very kind of interesting i i kind of call it the google maps for hackers you know it's like hey like you're gonna make a left on this street you're gonna make a right turn on this street and then you're gonna get to the the really promising uh, really interesting data that you can then hopefully sell or, or make some money on um anyway all these different attack paths are basically put into a graph database and they they map that out um and you know obviously they open source the solution and it went you know basically viral they have like eleven thousand people in the slack channel now it's really really exciting and um you know up on that kind of popularity a lot of enterprises asked hey can we have like an enterprise version of this product so this follows like the traditional open source company model and they eventually built an enterprise version it's called bloodhound enterprise um obviously a very cool name and i'm excited about it and uh we invested in this series a um together with um the folks at ballistic kevin media and uh It's been really, a really, really fun ride for us um, and a very, very cool company. Um, So you should check it out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It certainly sounds very interesting. Uh, And now let's talk about uh, your investing approach, right? So you've been investing for about eight to 10 years now, right? You've been in the space. Uh, So how how do you think has your personal investing approach evolved over these years? I think actually
0: methodology-wise, it hasn't changed as much. Um, I still very much focus on, you know, a very thematic based approach, um, a very much like thesis based approach, where I believe that, you know, the the, the future, you know, of, of enterprise IT or cybersecurity might evolve in a certain way. And I try to build conviction around that. Um, and once I have conviction around what the world looks like, I try to figure out like, how does this is affected by the... You know, IT and security budgets that basically people have available. Um, you know these kind of subcategories are always really, really interesting to to look at. Um, and um, you know I would say from that st- from that point of view, I haven't haven't really like changed my approach. Um, I think what has changed is maybe the way I help founders um, and really kind of try to be there for them, have a lot of empathy around that. Um, the journey of building a company is incredibly hard. Um, and it's something that takes time and patience and it takes a lot of grit. Um, and I think it's maybe easy, uh, especially in, in down times, to be cynical around the founder and, and say, Hey, like this is not working and, you know, be disappointed by that. But I think if you really put your head on and have empathy for the founder to work through these problems in these current times, then you deserve to be by their side when things are going well and. Hopefully they're ringing the bell at the NASDAQ or or the NYSE and um, you will know that you've kind of earned that right to be there. So I think that's really what I focus on nowadays is really try to be better at helping uh, founders get through, uh, you know, maybe it's difficult times or like maybe it's times where you really kind of need to be more hands on. Um, That's where I spend most of my time now, maybe less so. My approach is still the same.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Love that uh and t- talking about the time to write a check so how long do you typically take from you know a deal coming to you and then it going through all the different processes of diligence and then you finally writing the check
0: yeah so I, that's a great question uh, you know our firm as i mentioned before has like preconceived notions about like certain sectors and certain areas we're interested in i mentioned also that we're pretty thematically based so we kind of know what direction we we like um Really, uh, you know, the fastest or like I would say the the general process that we've seen at Decibel from first meeting to term sheet can be like basically, you know, seven to ten business days. Um, You know, we can be pretty quick on that because we don't have to educate ourselves on spaces. We kind of know them. Uh, We try to validate a lot around what the founder wants to build and like the exact product specifications and really kind of dive in there. And we also want to give them time to kind of get to know us, Right. This is a long- term um, you know relationship um, you know getting money is kind of easy but like you know like if you're if you're a founder you want to make sure that who's around your cap table is someone that you can trust and someone that you can work with for years to come and um, we try to really make sure that they get a chance to speak to our founders so they know how it is to work with us uh, we try to you know do the diligence on our side obviously to kind of build the conviction around it but generally speaking we kind of know what we like
1: absolutely that's great uh, and now. Talking about the current fundraising environment, you know, it's not as great, or maybe it's this is the new normal, uh, or this is good, uh, whichever way you want to call it. Uh, but how has that affected how you are approaching investing in these times? Has it slowed for you, or is it the same pace? What is it?
0: Uh, I would say our pace has largely been the same. Um, you know, we uh, continue to invest um, at the same pace as we had before. Um, I think, like, to build. You know, a strong portfolio over time, like you know, consistency investing is important. Um, I think our requirements also haven't changed as much because, you know, you have to remember kind of when we invest, right? Which is kind of like at the earliest stage. You know, I think maybe valuations have adjusted largely in the later stage of the market, um, obviously because public multiples had come down, and so everything in the private market, when companies have already park market fit or scale. Um, you know, there's like a difference and there's a valuation gap that needs to be met. I think in the early part of the market, you're really thinking about like, hey, is this an exceptional team with a unique insight in a big market? That really hasn't changed. It's still the same idea. And so since we're investing at seed and and pretty early A's, um, you know, we're still thinking about this in the same context. Um, So for us, quite honestly, uh, it hasn't hasn't changed as much as maybe the later stage of the market. Um, You know, we always like new ideas and we always like to evaluate new ideas, so we have been pretty active.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. And let's also talk about exits. What's your perspective on that? And uh, are you thinking about that at the time of investing? That okay? What's the potential exit for this company, or is that something you think further along the lines?
0: Yeah, no, I for sure. I think every, um, I think every investor should think about entry and exit. Um, it obviously makes a big difference. But I think I think about it less so in the context of exit and more so in the context of TAM. Um, addressable markets is always one of the hardest things to nail down. Um, it's always, to, you know, really, really tough to figure out, um, especially when it's an emerging category or it's like an emerging technology that where we don't really know what the what the aspect of it might look like. Um, so you try your best around that, and you really try to validate that with potential customers and early adopters early on. So we do think about that quite a bit, and we try to validate it with the founder. Quite honestly, um, a lot of times we communicate all that feedback back to the founders. Uh, there's been occasions where we actually uh, work together with a founding team that we think is really promising and kind of incubate an idea together. Um, and, you know, these, these are very talented people. Um, you know, they could be working at Google, making a lot of money or working at Meta, or some of these other companies and, and make a ton of money, but they're insisting on spending time building something new uh, on, you know, what would be considered like kind of a quote, unquote, shoestring budget, right. Um, And they're willing to kind of go through this really, really hard process. So, you know, less so than maybe uh, validating that the exit is good for us. Obviously, that that is important. Uh, More so, I think about, you know, having empathy for those folks and thinking about their opportunity cost of like starting a business when maybe the TAM isn't as large for them, like, does it make sense for you to spend that kind of time and your talent on this? Um, So we try to really help founders find that that right balance. Um, I think every TAM changes over time. Some of them become more relevant. Some of them become larger over time. Some of those things you can't control. Um, But I think directionally, if you have a good sense of what the big secular movements are and why they matter and why they over time become larger, then you're in a good spot to start a company.
1: Absolutely. That's great advice there. And uh, to close this off, do you have one piece of advice you'd like to leave founders with uh, whether they're operating in the enterprise SaaS or technical space or just any any sector in general.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, starting a company is very hard. Um, you know, before you before you do as a founder, you should aim to have uh, kind of you know what we consider true clarity of vision for what you want to build and why it's going to be relevant. Um, that is one of the hardest things to nail down. You know, the best founders I've worked with uh, always can visualize what the future might look like. They can kind of see it. And what I found is that the best of them are tortured by the idea that it hadn't been done yet. You know, they're like lay, lay they lay, they uh, they they think of, they they lay in bed at night and think about like why why isn't this idea done yet? And you know, they're tortured by that. And I think that that's what makes it special. So having kind of that clarity of vision of what you're trying to do, and having the conviction around it, um, and backing that up with with some data, like with conversation of customers and things like that, I think is a great way to start. Um, And so um, if you have that, then uh, I think you're going to be in good shape.
1: Absolutely. That's great uh, piece of advice there. And now let's move on to the rapid fire round. In this, I'll ask you five quick questions about the fund and you have to give five quick answers. Sounds good. Sure. All right. So the first one goes, what are the sectors and regions you invest in?
0: Uh, North America and Europe, but really all over the world. Uh, sectors uh, it's AI, ML, cyber infra data infrastructure
1: got it and what's the typical stage of investment
0: Uh, pre-seed seed seed and A
1: Uh, what's the typical check size you put in
0: Uh, 1 million usually at the low end up to like 15 to 20 million at the high end of like a series A
1: where can founders apply for funding in case there is a direct way
0: yeah yeah um, they can uh, message me or they can apply on our website uh, decibel.vc
1: great last one where can our listeners follow you
0: uh yeah i'm on twitter oh, i'm sorry i'm on x at uh, dan Winhoo and then i'm on linkedin as well
1: great all right i'll make sure to put all those links in the show notes below thanks so much for coming on dan and sharing your insights here
0: no thank you for having me
1: yeah pleasure thank you